and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Welcome back to The Blaze. We are live and on demand. I am Steve Dace. Notice I didn't say we're in demand. Because we're not, but we are on demand. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393. That's something else I need to add to my list. I'd like to be called crafty. And just once, I'd like to be in demand. Then maybe you'll be, get to uh, speak at uh, CPAC yeah, before only, communists. Yeah, before communists get to speak there. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. You know, the problem could be me, come to think of it. I mean, I, I could be in the wrong here. Steve at stevedace.com. That is the email address. Self-awareness is dead in America. I don't know why I should engage in any. D-E-A-C-E is how to spell the last name. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on, uh, we will be joined by our good friend Bob Vanderplotz. We'll continue our look at my new book, uh, Truth Bombs, as well. Uh, Aaron's montage coming up here in a matter of moments. But we love to support noble and valued causes here on this show and maybe the greatest cause of them all, taking the word of God to the ends of the earth. And several of you have asked me, hey, how does this pill-sized Bible from back to Jerusalem work? And this is on me. I I think I should have clarified this because some of you probably believe we're like, um, uh, this is like uh, Get Smart, and and it, and it's like this little tiny piece of paper, uh, and and then they like unfurl it when they get it passed uh, over the borders in Iran, Somalia, and North Korea. It, it it it's actually an electronic Bible. I probably should have clarified that. Maybe maybe pill sized Bible is a lot more believable. Yes, thank you for the picture, Aaron. <laughs> It's from their website. <laughs> yes. Yeah. People are like, come on, man. How can you have a pill-sized Bible? I, I Listen, I get why this audience would be on cult alert. I get it. All right? Because we are, we're putting you on that alert if you're listening to this show. But no, this is the actual Bible in an electronic form that's just put in a, in, in a smaller packaging to make it easier to take into these closed countries that want to oppress their people. They don't want to give them the hope found primarily in the Word of God in places like Iran, Somalia, North Korea, uh, communist China, etc. And that's where Back to Jerusalem comes in. They want to take the Word of God to closed countries from Jerusalem to communist China. If you want to help them with this project— they're asking just uh, for $15 from each of us. Basically, the cost of you and someone else going to a fast food lunch today. Here's how you can help. BlazeHelp.org is the website. That's BlazeHelp.org. Or you can give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now, here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Feeling the Burn. Bernie Sanders finally formally announced his run for president over the weekend. Brothers and sisters, we are going to win this election not because we have a super PAC funded by billionaires. We're going to win this election because we are putting together the strongest grassroots campaign in the history of American politics. Donald Trump wants to divide us up 
based on the color of our skin, based on where we were born, based on our gender, based on our religion or our sexual orientation. What we are about is doing exactly the opposite. We're going to bring our people together. Black and white, Latino, Asian American, Native American, gay and straight, young and old, men and women, native born and immigrant, we are together. And together we will transform this country. Anywho, anti-Semitism was back on full display on the part of Congresswoman Ilan Omar. I should not be expected to have an allegiance-slash-pledge support to a foreign country in order to serve my country in Congress or serve on committee. So you think others in Congress have, Congresswoman? Huh. And for those who cannot accept Omar and Lieb's presence on Capitol Hill, Omar has some advice. You're gonna have to just deal. Lake Erie becomes first lake to win same legal rights as a person. Here's the mother of all editor's notes from the Washington Post. A Washington Post article first posted online on January 19th reported on a January 18th incident at the Lincoln Memorial. Subsequent reporting, a student's statement and additional video allow for a more complete assessment of what occurred, either contradicting or failing to confirm accounts provided in that story, including that Native American activist Nathan Phillips was prevented by one student from moving on, that his group had been taunted by the students in the lead-up to the encounter, and that the students were trying to instigate a conflict. The high school student facing Phillips issued a statement contradicting his account. The bishop in Covington, Kentucky, apologized for the statement condemning the student and an investigation conducted for the Diocese of Covington and Covington Catholic High School found that students' accounts consistent with videos. Subsequent post coverage, including video, reported these developments. Wow. And now, conservatism conserved. The bulwark, the brainchild of ex-weekly standard brass Charlie Sykes and Bill Crystal, whose tagline is Conservatism Conserved, sent one of their writers to cover CPAC. Her name, Molly Zhang Fast, and while there's certainly more than enough to poke fun at and criticize CPAC for, she decided to show her pro-abort tendencies by mocking a pro-life panel at the conference. This set off a massive urination contest between the thumbsuckers at the bulwark and a ton of conservative media types where Crystal and others called pro-lifers snowflakes for being concerned about self-described conservative publications sending a pro-abort to cover CPAC. Of course, this is becoming a pattern for the bulwark. Crystal himself donated to the campaign of the racist pro-infanticide governor of Virginia not that long ago. Berkeley, California police arrested Zachary Greenberg on Friday for this attack on a UC Berkeley student recruiting for TPUSA. And finally, an update on the weather. We get mad. Because of snowing, but it's winter outside. I mean, we are a bunch of weird people, okay? If it was summer and it was snowing, yes, it is winter. Diane Joshua has strong feelings about the snow. It's winter, hello, it's winter. Hello, about three, four weeks ago, it was what? Three degrees outside, it's a heat wave out here now. Hello, it's winter, yes. I'm not surprised, I love it, it's winter. Let's, let's work with it.
This is a heat wave. This is a heat wave. Three degrees, three weeks ago. How soon we forget. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at Real Estate Agents I Trust, a company formed by Glenn Beck and some of his friends a few years ago because they were tired of real estate agents who talk a good game and then don't finish the game so that you can win the game at the end when they're needed the most. If you have uh, are thinking of going through buying and or selling a home, um, it's one of the most stressful times in your life. Uh, I've been through it a couple times and I had a fantastic agent. So I, I can't imagine how you could get through it if you don't. And what sets real estate agents I trust apart from other referral services is those are really done to help agents find clients. All right. So this is where everybody puts their best foot forward uh, in order, uh, you know, uh, to make their bottom line. In this case, the bottom line they're concerned about is yours. This is with agents who have volunteered to be vetted, uh, to be scrutinized. And while there are no guarantees, uh, you know, this side of heaven, uh, at least you're you're certainly uh, making your margin for error much greater when folks that you're getting ready to hire volunteer to be transparent. And that's what we're all about here at Real Estate Agents I Trust. So again, um, buy or sell for fast and for the right price for you with the team at realestateagentsitrust.com. Visit the website right now, realestateagentsitrust.com. Um, it's largely inside baseball. In fact, I didn't even know what this publication was called when I came in today when we were talking about it, guys, off the air. But it is the kind of inside baseball that it's it's a little bit like what we've said about Twitter and, and political culture. Okay, so about 80% of Twitter accounts are from outside the U.S. Maybe about a quarter of Americans even have a Twitter account. And then the percentage of those who have, say, a thousand followers or more and are regularly active is not very high. So even though it's it's a world that most Americans don't inhabit, the people that have a say in, in what opinions and takes and stories from the right or the left that are usually made available for consumption publicly live here, Right. You know, so it's a little bit like Twitter is in many respects a, a, a modified form of what the what the city gate was in Bible times. You know, I, I have no idea how many people in the community went down to the city gate on a daily basis because, you know, they had bills to pay, crops to work, homes to run, kids to oversee. But but the people who made decisions that was going to impact the entire community did go there on a regular basis. And that that's a little bit what Twitter is. And that goes for this whole debate between the group that still considers themselves never Trumpers and the rest of conservative media. I work in this industry and the name Bulwark I was not familiar with, but I am familiar with this debate. And most of these are names and people that most of you as consumers for conservative media. And, are, you know, there's a recent survey I linked to on our Facebook wall um, next to Fox. This is the, the Blaze is now the largest conservative media platform in the entire industry. And I would venture most of most of you watching me have no idea what a Jennifer Rubin is. Have no idea 
what a Rick Wilson or Tom Nichols are. But at the city gate here, 21st century, political Twitter, these are names many of my peers are utterly obsessed with. And these are names of people who are also utterly obsessed with themselves. So I think we need to talk about it. Because even though most of you don't care, and, and let me tell you, as someone who works in this industry, you're correct. Preach. <laughs> Take us with okay. you, yes. please. You're correct not to care. All right? And, and our goal in talking about it here for the next few minutes is not to make you care, but to make you aware. It, on the list of things that if you ask me, Steve, what should I do today? If getting a Twitter account, if you currently don't have one, in order to immerse yourself in this world would be nowhere on this list, or at least it would be somewhere before... Do the opposite of that. Yes, stepping on a rusty nail without a tetanus shot, okay? It would be somewhere maybe slightly above that, okay? Um, uh, You know, don't. Don't do it. Don't. Don't. We're all miserable enough. It's winter out! We're all miserable enough, Okay. Unfortunately, this is the, uh, uh, my what we get to do for a living is great, and it beats as one of my very first radio bosses used to tell me it beats going down a mine shaft with a flashlight. Amen. Right? Okay. But everything has trade offs, and in order for us to one of the things we have to endure to continue to do what you guys want us to do well, or at least to the best of our capabilities, whether that's well, you get to decide that too. Is, is be aware of this world. So I, I'm not, I, I don't want you to get involved. I would urge you not to, actually. But I think you need to be aware of the debate that is happening in this world because it is, it is seeping into a lot of what you are being permitted to consume in so-called conservative media. What do I mean permitted to consume? What I mean is the amount of time those of us in, in my industry, my peers, spend with each other, preoccupied with this debate compared to things that are far more impactful to your life, like what's going on at the border, for example. It's disproportionate, this preoccupation. And so I think you, are, you would be better to be aware of it without being in the middle of it. And, and I think the best way to make you aware of this in a constructive way, because we really have no interest on this show in getting involved in the, the urination contest aspect of this. You know, when I was never Trump during the 2016 campaign, I didn't know what a Rick Wilson was. I didn't know who Tom Nichols or a lot of these people were. Um, I couldn't believe people thought Jennifer Rubin was like a conservative. Uh, and what's happened is, when Trump was just a candidate, these people got away. In interest of full disclosure, I was on conference calls during the 2016 campaign that where Bill Crystal either hosted them or was a guest on them about finding an actual conservative candidate, a third-party candidate. And then when those candidates, when that candidate turned out to be Evan McMullen those calls all broke up and basically stopped happening. And these groups went off in their separate ways. And and there were actual people, names you would know, real conservatives that were on these calls too. I just don't think it's my place to disclose them and they can you do that on their own if they wish to. I'm disclosing it to you so that you can see 
Um, I'm not, I'm not pontificating from the cheap seats here. Okay. I had a front row seat to what I'm going to describe to you. What has happened here is the system that used to benefit the kinds of Republicans these people all preferred. A lot of the people that they are accusing of shilling for Trump now, go on YouTube and Google Sean Hannity, John McCain, 2008. It's like the same show, guys. Just, I mean, Hannity's personality is different because McCain's personality was different than Trump's, but it's the same show. And Hannity talking about, I'm one of the few people on in the conservative media that likes John McCain, gets along with John McCain, think we ought to give him a shot. You've heard me say this before, let me say it again. Nothing's really changed. The cake is still baked the same way. It's just the frosting is different. So when this system of shill for whoever is the front man for the Republican Party, benefited the people from their factions. Where was the the names I just mentioned in their high-minded concern for integrity and honesty and conserving conservatism then? Do you remember hearing anything about that? Not off. No. In fact, a lot of those people couldn't stand me because I was the same stubborn cuss then that I am right now. I was actually worse then. I'm more mature in my faith now. My my kids have softened me a little bit. Todd, you can attest to this. Was I was I was I worse then than I am now? And was I less tolerant of 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 BS than I even am now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I was much worse. I miss those days. I thought I'd be <laughs> fired within a year of joining you. Quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason why when you wanted this job I tried to talk you out of it telling you don't do this all of your shibboleths your biases and I won't do it you'll just you'll because of the ex, the exposure to the inside of the system you will receive will all you know it'll change you was I right about that oh yeah yeah for sure yeah I was because it did that to me that's why so what happened is this shillathon, like this CPAC's changed. No, no, it hasn't, actually. Nothing's changed. Only the names have changed, okay? This is like Dragnet. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Now, only the names have changed. Only the names have changed. Nothing else has changed. It was Romney Pack. It was McCain Pack. So you're saying Bill Crystal used to be Van Jones. Yes, yeah. Nothing's changed absolutely nothing has changed. Nothing has. Only the names have changed. That's all. And the factions being feted, slurped upon, and and covered and shielded for, that's all that's changed. But the game has not changed at all. Nothing's changed. We just went from debating whether this is the same, you know, I remember when CPAC debated whether to put the Bushes wanted the log cabin Republicans there to show we could be pro-gay marriage. And there was a big moral debate about that. And now the people that wanted the log cabin Republicans and the, and the gay marriage crowd there couldn't, I, they're all, they, they're cl- per, grabbing, grabbing their, per, they're clutching the pearls. Where did all these grifters that, come from? Yeah, that, that uh, openly guy, gay Milo Yiannopoulos has been invited to speak. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. Nothing's changed. You need to know this. 
Absolutely nothing's changed. Just the names being shilled for and the people profiting thereof have changed. But the game has not changed. This thing they, was gone a yeah, long time ago. The kids, okay? the, the preschoolers on the other side of the playpen get the toys now. That's and it. you have no toys. The parting on the left is now the parting on the right. And their beards have all grown longer overnight. So for those who did have some level of awareness about this and some level of concern, is everything you're saying them, should that provide them peace or make them even more concerned that's than a, they were before? That's totally in the eye of the beholder. Yes, the answer is yes. This is the year of BS. We are going to lay it out there. What you choose to do with it, not my responsibility. Did you say BS again instead of no BS? Or did I do it again? Hey, the year of no BS. That's just happening okay. for a reason. Yes. It is total BS this is all the, the year time. Of BS. All the time. <laughs> That's, I'm like Kevin Nealon, Mr. Subliminal Man. I'm translating myself now. All right. In the year of no BS, we're just going to lay it out there. And what you all choose to do with it, that's not our problem. That's you're an adult. We, we're going to treat you like an adult. We're going to just lay it out. And then you can choose to do with the information what you choose to do. All right. So don't fall for this notion that, oh, CPAC's different. No, it's not. Just the people that were able to profit off of this and, and grift off of it is, are, are different. That's all that's changed. Nothing's changed. This is true throughout all of this dynamic. Nothing has changed. Just the flavor of the frosting on the cake has changed. It's the same old cake. And so what happened when Trump was just a candidate and Trump's group of people took over? And yeah, there are plenty of grifters in Trump world. Uh, you know, hackneyed um, televangelist crooks like Paula White, for example. But there's also a lot of just common everyday Americans who want their voices to be heard too. And so when Trump was just a candidate, those of us that were in the never Trump crowd kind of had it easy. And I say this as someone who was in the crowd. The reason we had it easy is we only had his moral character to judge him by because he hadn't made any decisions yet. And it's pretty obvious that his moral character is problematic wanting yes but then he gets into office and i've told this story before that very first weekend when he actually tries to impose the travel ban and daniel horowitz and i are, are in communication in and around the sabbath because he honors that daniel does so we're in communication before and after how do we handle this what do we do you know what do we advise our people to do and finally we came to the conclusion you know, if, if, if we don't defend the things we've always believed in because Trump's doing them, aren't we really the same hacks we've always condemned, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. And I've pretty much followed that line of thinking the entire Trump presidency. When he has done something I'm in favor of, I'm in favor of it. When he has done things I'm not in favor of, I'm not in favor of them. I don't, I don't change what I believe for Donald Trump to, to get on Fox or to, to, get, a, to get a speaking slot. Nor am I going to condemn the things I'm for because of Trump to get a speaking slot at another conference or get on another network. I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. It's not who I am as a person. If I tried, I wouldn't be any good at it. Okay? So I'm not going to do that. So when Trump started, when he got into office and started doing some conservative things, now this group of people, these never Trump groupers, I know him well. I was in this group, guys. I was, I was in the secret calls. Okay? This now creates a problem for the Rick Wilson, Bill Crystal, Tom Nichols of the world. Because what, 
what we've learned in the last couple of years is these people aren't conservatives. They're just not. They don't really hold conservative views on basically anything. And when, when Trump started doing conservative things, he doesn't always do conservative things. And when he doesn't, we tell you. And when he does, we tell you that too. Um, they had a choice to make too, which is snap. What do we do? Do we out ourselves that we're fake conservatives? Or, you know, do we go along with the policy but say, yeah, but his character is still bad? Well, whatever choice that they had to make, they chose poorly. Because they chose to go with, we're just going to out ourselves as not as conservatives. And and it's and they're and as they have become increasingly exposed, they've gotten increasingly nastier. I have literally just muted all these people, so I don't I've stopped following them a long time ago and I've muted them on Twitter because I don't want their poison shared from third parties to show up in my feed. Anti-Trump mean girls act. Yeah. It's just, it's just nasty. Like, like not, not even to, it's like Stephen A. Smithy. Like it's, it's pointless. It's, it's just, you know, I'm going to double down that Dwayne Haskins is a good runner. I think he ran the slowest 40 time of all the quarterbacks because this is who these people are. This is something Bill Crystal tweeted out. We'll miss seeing Trump at CPAC as we're off to a theater to see the broadcast of the Mets production of Donizetti's La Philly de Rougement. I don't even know how that's pronounced, man, because I live in America, not France. Uh, we'll think occasionally of Molly Young Fast. I never heard of this woman in my life until this weekend when they sent a pro abort to cover CPAC and mock pro-lifers. Stuck at CPAC while we enjoy Javier Camarena and pretty and do you know you worked in a newspaper longer than I did? Did do you know any of these names? Or there's just some things, no matter how leftist you are, just don't penetrate Iowa. All I know is that was like progressive virtue yeah. signaling par excellence yes. right there. Is that is literally like, like if the comment section at Breitbart said, let's put up a tweet of yeah. a parody of a neocon. Yes. It would look like that. It's like they're trying to fulfill every yes. stereotype of elitism. Yes. He might be working for Tatiana McGrath now. He's doing that so well. <laughs> so when I say these people don't hate Trump, they hate you. That tweet is an example yep. of what I'm yep. talking about. Yep. This isn't about Trump. And when Trump goes away, this grievance isn't going to go with him. They hate. They hate you. These are the people that would rather lose to the Democrats than lose control of the Republican Party to the likes of you. That's what this is about. And they're angry that at least for now, because of you, they've lost control of. That's exactly right. And when and and. Every, every any attempt that Trump has made to keep promises, whether they've been successful or not, some have and some haven't. But the fact that he's made any attempts at all to keep his promises to you has forced all of these people to take their camouflage off and expose themselves for who they really are. And that's why they're really mad because they won't get away when Trump is gone. They won't get away with conning you anymore. They won't get away with lying to you anymore. That's that's what this whole debate is really about. Now, I don't know why there is a a large block of conservative media who is obsessed with arguing with these people other than maybe it's as simple as you, you used to think they were your friends and you feel betrayed by them and you just can't let it go. I don't know. But I do know that it, it's really doing nothing to advance the conservative cause, that this is really a playground fight between this is this is kind of devolved into Lord of the Flies esque. Am I missing something, Todd? What do you think? No, but uh, I think the why they argue with them point, it, 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 
there's a, there's a partial obsession with who the them is in this picture, but that also speaks to who the whole conservative Twitter thing is. That it is an obsession in and of itself. I mean, there's constant squirrel alerts, they, and it's very very hard for them to do anything to provide like Daniel does uh, a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You can just tell that the idol is as shiny as any idol they've ever had in their entire life. Everybody on all sides of this debate, which is why it's so important right at the beginning, you started off about this being, let's put Twitter into context. Twitter isn't into context for the people on here, which makes them all the more dangerous in what, how they take whatever they glean from their discussion mm-hmm. and then bring it writ large into our lives. Here's what we know for sure. Well, we know for sure, Whatever I don't know really what the motivations are. I've not really been in the conservative media clique. I know a lot of these people. I actually know a lot more of the organizational heads and politicians because I've been more on the active. I, I'm an activist working in media, not media being an activist. Okay, So I don't know a lot of these cliques and tribes and I don't factions. I don't really know a lot of these people on an intimate level. But I can tell you this. The amount of time that we are spending proving Bill Crystal's a hack who represents 0.2% of the electorate than we are advancing conservative That's causes That's is point. way out of is way out of proportion mm-hmm. and we need to reverse that trend uh, stat. Homeowners, beware, you know, when you read about or hear in the news about a massive data breach at a bank, you might think, man, I got identity theft protection. If something goes wrong, they'll let me know. Now, I'm not arguing against having identity theft protection. I have that as well. You should have it uh, in this day and age. But here's something you need to consider is that even if they can't use what they breached from a major bank to steal your identity, um, they now have some of your verifiers, meaning things that you use when you do business online and with second and third parties. You know, like our buddy Bob Vanderplatz is coming on over the weekend. You know, I got him and I are, are Joseph A. Bank guys. He kind of turned me on to it, actually, you know. And so they've got a big sale over the weekend. You know, I log on there and I'm, I may or may not order some stuff online, right? Okay. That's what I mean by a second or third party. Your favorite team is getting ready for March Madness and you go on the fan bookstore online and you order the T-shirt. That's what I mean by when you do business with a second and third party. And so even if they can't steal your identity, those thieves, because of this data, these kinds of data breaches, now may have a checking account number, may have a last four digits of a social number, a middle initial, a maiden name. The kinds of things that you put into a second or third party uh, website online to say, yes, this is me. They may have access to that information now. And so nowadays, a lot of our home ownership uh, information is all online. You know, back in the day, you couldn't even think about stealing somebody's uh, title because you'd have to literally go physically to a courthouse, to a records building, an accessor or recorder's, uh, you know, uh, room and verify in person that you're you. But nowadays, a lot of this stuff to save, you know, city government's money or state government's money, a lot of this stuff is all online. And so they now have these verifiable, you know, data points of who you are. They then forge a signature 
And before you know it, they're now liquidating the equity in your home, your most prized, at least it is for most Americans, your most prized valuable investment. Don't let that happen to you, especially when for just pennies a day, our friends at Home Title Lock will prevent prevent it from happening to you. HomeTitleLock.com. Find out right now if your home's title has already been targeted by scammers. With a free title scan report, this is normally a $100 value, free to our audience today at The Blaze at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Good to see you, Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. How are you? I could not be better. I didn't realize I had that kind of influence on you. Joseph A. Bank, you you're, you're doing the sales, you're ordering clothes. Yeah, I mean, you, if, if, if America needs to know this. <laughs> if you want to know, first of all, if you want to know the first name of everybody waiting to get on your flight, uh, or, a, or any taxi cab <laughs> or Uber driver in America, travel with this guy, all right? Because he literally works the line waiting to get on a plane to board I just like a rope line at a campaign event, right? Yeah. He literally goes up and down the line, all right? Working the, working. the You just can't take the, can't, the former candidate out of this guy, number one. Here's the second thing America needs to know about Bob Interplotz. If you want to know how to acquire something at the cheapest price <laughs> possible. Wait a minute, I resemble this. Yes, all right? There's a reason the last name, for those of you that grew up in Dutch West Michigan like me, <laughs> Vanderplotz, all right? If you're looking for how do I... I find this the cheapest I can get it. Call this guy. All right. So if you, want to know the, if you want to know the first name of everybody you're about to get on a flight with, he'll tell you. All right. And if you want to know the cheapest way to find something, you can find that too. An interesting story on that, Steve, is I bought seven suits for my oldest son's wedding this summer. Got a great deal on them. Uh-huh. I now have people that were in his wedding party calling me going, hey, I'm going to get married. Can you get me my yes. suit? <laughs> yes. I think I should get a commission or something out of this. Yes. All right. So um, when you're not uh, perusing the internet for the cheapest deals available uh, or making yourself a pest in airports across the fruited plain, one of the things that you do here uh, at The Family Leader uh, is, I mean, you guys are involved in political activism. You're launching something, and, and well, you've launched this previously. It, I guess I would kind of call it like if you're opening a restaurant, a soft opening. Isn't that sure, fair? Sure. So this is this is a process, a, a, a paradigm for activism, voter identification that you guys have used before. You used it in our Iowa caucuses. We did. You used it in the 2016 election campaign. But now you're kind of and now that you have test marketed or test driven maybe uh, this particular way of doing activism and seen how it's the results it's delivered. You're now being a little bit more public with this and taking it um, even beyond Iowa. And you did this in some other states in 2016 already. We did. It's called the Daniel Initiative. I want you to tell, your, tell our audience about it. Well, first, I love how you put you know, a soft launch. And we really do believe this thing has been tested. Uh, we've tried it. And Steve, you and I know all too well that a lot of times we talk about policy even on this show here a lot, we talk about policy. And sometimes we focus on the policy. We lament about the policy. We think, well, that, that was a great policy victory for us. But then pretty soon we figure out, you know, it's the people that we're electing that deliver the policy. So I could advocate a policy to you that you vehemently disagree with. I'm never going to get anywhere because you're the one holding the office. But if I get somebody who's a friend in that office, Sometimes they're ahead of me on the issue that I want to uh, advocate for. But then as you and I also talk about this, and Todd and Aaron as well, is that there's some people we put into office that even after we worked awfully hard to get them into office, mm -hmm. we're kind of sometimes disappointed in what we get. Sometimes is kind. 
Sometimes it's kind of... It's, I, might, it, I might use the term often. <laughs> it's all too frequent. <laughs> yes. And so basically what we said, and remember this is after the 2012 election, so this has been going on quite a while. Mm -hmm. After the 2012 election, Greg Baker, Chuck Hurley, two of my peers at the Family Leader, we sat down and we said, you know, what are we doing? And we finally, we said, unless we... Wait, how many more times can we go back to our people and say, vote for this person that's going to let you down once they get right. into office? And how, how long are we going to keep pounding the sand to get the same or similar results? Mm -hmm. And we said, unless we authentically engage the church, uh, I think it's game over. And you've heard us talk a lot about revival, uh, that we believe we need revival with us individually first, and then our marriages, our families, our churches, our communities, and hopefully the ripple effect is a country. If it's a country, hopefully it's a watching world, but it begins with us individually. And so we really got into, it's a little bit like Wilberforce. If you're going to stamp out slavery, uh, you better lead with the gospel and you better have a restoration of manners. And when Wilberforce's eyes were opened up to the gospel, everything changed for him. And so what we're saying is that, you know, we need cultural transformation. That's what Wilberforce was talking about. We need to lead with the gospel. We need to anchor it in intentional prayer. That's where the If 714 initiative comes out of. But then authentically engage the church in its mission field, the Great Commission, versus let's raise a party flag, let's raise a candidate flag. And so what we've been doing is we've been restoring the church's biblical voice of being a Nathan to the David to the culture. Uh, and we're doing that by we're bringing pastors up to the Iowa Capitol. Right now, our church ambassador network, bar none, is the most vibrant of any state in the country right here in the state of Iowa. Uh, 1,800 churches, 2,200 pastors. We've been over 1,100 pastor visits, like six, eight, ten at a time. Every day the session is in session. We have pastors up there. And it's not lobbying on specific issues. It's leading with the gospel. It's praying with them. It's opening up God's word on issues with them. Meaning you're laying a foundation before you go to an application. Without question. But here's the other part. This is the part that's so key, is we want the result to be right elections. We want the result mm -hmm. to be right policies. But as we engage these pastors and we engage the churches, we're building trust with them. Because they're seeing about, you know, this is about the gospel. This is about religious liberty. This is about the sanctity of human life. This is about Psalm 139. This, so all of a sudden, they're seeing things differently. And now when we take a step in a voice on elections, they trust us. And so, yeah, we tried this out in 2016 in five key states of Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Iowa. And it worked. I, in fact, I went and looked at the data evangelical turnout in every one of those states was higher than it was forecasted uh, by uh, any either uh, the public polling or even the internal polling that the Republicans had in those states. And here's what I think your base would want to know is that we're not leading with voter guides. We're not leading with the Republican Party mantra of saying, this, this is why where every Republican's yeah. pro-life and yeah. they, uh, yes, yeah. 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 So let's say Trump has an approval rating of 46%, but there's 38% that he knows they're going to vote for me no matter what. Mm -hmm. Okay, even if he shoots somebody on Fifth Avenue. Well, we can pound that 38% to death. You're still going to get 38%. There's only so much juice you can get out of that grape. But if we go to the church with a biblical talking point, with a biblical mandate, you have to choose even when the choices are hard. That's when the greater church now starts embracing what this is all about. And when that happens, we, we've seen that you will elect 
the right people. We hope ministers of God. You'll advance righteous policy. But here's the key. The key to leadership is are you a model worthy to be followed? Are your children wanting to follow you? And right now, the millennials get some real questions. And yeah, they may have some wrong questions, but they get some real questions too about, do you really believe what you believe to be really real? And we can walk and chew gum at the same time with this kind of a model. And because of its success in Iowa, proven documented success in Iowa, we have now launched it in Ohio, Minnesota, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Indiana, and Florida. Eight key states. Because we're taking Jesus at his word. Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we're authentically engaged in the church. We're authentically basically setting the stage for revival. Because I believe when you pray, like we do at If 714, twice a day, 714 morning, 714 evening, when you pray, God also wants you to do something about it. And so now we're being wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, going to these key states, but authentically engage the church. And the candidate who speaks to the church is the one who's going to benefit from this initiative. And so we're so excited about because one is we put our head at the, to the pillow at night and we're like, this feels good because you're doing it God's way, a biblical way. You're, you're doing it with the Great Commission in mind. You know, open up the eyes so people can actually see the, the light of Christ. You're not putting yourself in a position where you feel like you have to go on some cable news show and defend the indefensible. Exactly. <clears throat> and so, so when cable news does invite us on, Again, as you've heard us say on this show a lot, we look higher, we think bigger. And that's all part of the Daniel initiative. Look higher, think bigger, engage the bride of Christ, which I believe, Stephen, I believe it like crazy. It is our only hope to turn this country around. So you go back to our caucuses in the 2016 cycle, and you know, you and I were skeptical as people who are pretty close to this process. Sure. You and I were skeptical of these polls that had outrageous turnout models yep. and projections because we'd never had anything, you know, blow through a hundred thousand Iowa caucus voters. And, you know, Mon was putting out polls of 250,000 Iowa caucus voters. We get to caucus night. And while the, the, it was not what some of those outrageous models were articulating, it was way beyond what you and I thought we oh, were going to see anyway. So you start looking at all those turnout models and that means a lot of new voters. And so that a lot of people, then the assumption would be if there's all these new voters, they would all Trump. show up to vote for Trump. Right. Right. And instead what ended up happening is you saw Ted Cruz set the record for most votes ever received in an Iowa caucus. Um, meaning that he beat Trump with a, with a, turnout model that looked like it would be the what what what, uh, what an Iowa caucus victory would have to look like for Donald Trump and and I do think your your test marketing of this plan which was to mobile and, and we got a lot of churchgoers out that typically have never voted before without question and and some of it is they've never been engaged and here's the other thing too they they've also they they just don't want to vote for GOP shills they've just done it they're tired of it they're not motivated to do it um and and so you got to figure out because you're right you're going to there's a certain message that you reach for one group of people but it's limited to that group of people if it the, but there's a price to pay for this and the price is you know i, I I know social conservative leaders who are literally told by the Koch brothers what they can and cannot say oh, sure. when they get a check from them, for example. How hey, they, we, we played that game in yes. 2012. And, and so the, you're, if you're going to break free of the shill model, 
That means you're going to have to come up with the resources because as my old college roommate, Mike Bartram, used to say, romance without finance is a nuisance, right? So, so <laughs> or, or like my pilot says, uh, with fuel, you have options. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you run out of fuel, right. you got to land the plane, so, baby. So, you know, there's a reason why all these groups all have the same talking points because they're all getting money from the same three or four people. That's why. Sure. And those people determine Sheldon Adelson, the Cokes, et cetera. Those people determine... Here in exchange, and, and I don't, I don't think you and I as capitalists blame anybody who made the money. Saying, if you want my money, here's what I want you to say. I mean, it's your money; you can you do bet. what you want with it. But understand that there is a there's a toll to pay for that, and I mean that figuratively and literally. Sure. If you want to break free of the shill model, and start with the premise that we are going to do what is right and leave the results up to God, and that if we as the church start doing that as voters from the bottom up, then we might actually encourage better leadership from the top down. Without and we, question. And we. And we saw evidence of that in Iowa from a politician I came into this, and I think with ample reason, hugely skeptical of. And if you would have told me she would be the one that will hold the line, I'd have said, that'll never happen. I'll bet my mortgage on it. Well, she did. I was stunned. Okay. And when a bunch of other Republicans in our state got creamed in this last election, she was the one that survived, and that was the Governor Kim Reynolds. And I think this initiative and this approach and her willingness to abide by it, I think that's the only reason she's the governor right now. Let me respond to several things. First of all, the Iowa caucuses. The Iowa caucuses, we thought everybody that came in knew we were going to be Trump voters. And what happened, Steve, with the church vote, the evangelical vote, every candidate since Jimmy Carter's been doing the Iowa caucuses has been trying to get to the church vote. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's been tapped out. And yet Ann Seltzer of Bloomberg News, the pollster, said we did not see 50,000 new evangelicals turning out. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's because churches got engaged with the biblical talking point, not with raising a party flag and this is what you need to do or what candidate you need to vote for. Mm -hmm. That's why I think Ted Cruz succeeded there. Kim Reynolds, though, she was in kind of a, a blue wave local tsunami with two congressional candidates going down Republican and one way underperforming what he should have performed in the in the third or fourth district, and she still won. And I believe it's because the church turns out. And so, yeah, it's the right way. It's a biblical approach. It's not a political approach. We're, we're, we're teaming with the church with the Great Commission, and we're getting churches excited about this because they're saying, yes, I can play here. Because quite frankly, churches have stiff-armed. A lot of people saying, wait, my, my church is way bigger than the Republican Party, mm -hmm. or my church is way bigger than, than candidate Vanderplatz, and they are right. But if you team with the church, the net result is going to be good things happen when the church engages and is involved. And so that's why we're so excited about the Daniel Initiative. And here's what we're finding out about donors. Just as you and I are tired of the political shields, the political gamemanship, mm -hmm. if we elect this, remember if we got the U.S. Senate in 2014, everything changes. Remember that? I look Ty forward to when we have nine conservative Supreme Court justices, yeah. then we might actually have a majority. So, <laughs> so they're, they're getting tired of the same game, but they're all asking the same question. Where's the church? Mm -hmm. This is a model that allows the church to be the church, and it's not a Republican pastor mobilization effort, which a lot of churches just shriek of. Like, are you kidding? They're coming in to take over my church, and they should be concerned about it. I think it's the right approach. It's built local, local church, local politics, and I think the, the results could be dynamic. Well, it, it's pastors. You're, you know, you're about 10 years older than me, right? So— the, the new guys coming in are between taking over churches, your age and my age, yep. and, and our, that generation, Gen Xers. And one thing I can tell you, 
and this is something you and I have talked about privately for years, the Gen X, rising generation of Gen X pastors just don't want to be the next Jerry Falwell Jr., don't want to be the next Ralph Reed, don't want to be the next GOP clown show shill. And I don't blame them for that, but they're kind of making a false choice, which therefore is there's no way to do this without declining myself. So we're just going to let the culture go to hell. Right. Well, that's kind of a false choice. It is a false choice. The only choice is become a complete, you know, carnival barker, or I am, you know, a conscientious objector while my community goes to hell. I I think there's probably some ground between those two. And so when you have a church engagement effort, that is working with the church in the off years as much as it's working with them in the on years. Mm-hmm. It's not just fall the election time. You're building trust. It's a biblical model. Pastors are seeing, you know what? Our voice needs to be heard, the prophet to the king. And they're also saying this is where the church can be the hands and feet of Christ, whether it be the foster care issues, opioid crisis, whatever it might be. But they're seeing a real need for the church in this space. Bob, good to see you, man. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. God bless. Hey, did you know there's only four major cell phone carriers in the entire country? It's because it's too expensive to put up your own towers. So for the most part, you get the same reliable nationwide coverage, no matter who you choose. The only difference is what they do with your money once you give it to them. So give it to a company like Patriot Mobile that will give you the same cell phone coverage you want and you get from everybody else, but they'll take your money and give it to causes that you agree with. It is owned and started by a former combat veteran from both Iraq wars and Afghanistan. And here's where you can get involved right now. Mention the blaze when you call 1-800-PATRIOT. Mention the blaze and get two or free activation and up to two lines. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze here on The Steve Dace Show. Todd Aaron are here with me as well. If you want to join us, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Last name for those of you listening today on the podcast or The Blaze Radio, it's D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening today on the podcast, whichever is the podcast platform of your choice, consider leaving us a five-star review if you like what we do. Thank you to all of you that have done so already. Uh, Also, it's D-E-A-C-E for liking us on Facebook, um, where apparently I have fewer Facebook likes than I had last week, but they told me I added 94 new ones. I'm not entirely sure how that math works, but... um, Nobody likes you. Nobody likes me. You don't have any friends. It's it's a weird world. Uh, Michelle Malkin is being accosted by Twitter for violating the... uh, the uh, no blasphemy laws of Pakistan. <laughs> I have no idea why she is subjected to that. Do you know? Uh, this is like Mad Libs or something. Yes. Uh, that, no, that seriously is going on. They're notifying her she has violated Pakistan's blasphemy laws. Well, that'd be cool if you lived in Pakistan, but she don't. She lives in Colorado, uh, actually. Just a uh, hop, skip, and a jump from Pakistan, you know, if you had transport lots of drive. Lots of mountains. Yeah, yeah. I you can know, see how you pack, get Yeah, I can see how you get confused, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I have no idea how I added 94 likes on Facebook, but have fewer likes than I had last week. But that is the funny math we conservatives deal with uh, when it comes to social media. So leave us a five-star review. We need all the help we could possibly get. Like um, our friends at Patriot Mobile, because they have a great product. I want you to be able to take advantage of it. And I ran out of time because apparently I didn't listen to Ron's voice in my ear warning me we were going to run out of time. So that's my bad. So 
Let me make sure you have the number, okay? 1-800-A-PATRIOT is the number for Patriot Mobile. That's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. That's the uh, website. And if you're looking for, uh, you know, a better deal with your mobile phone coverage, you get the same coverage from pretty much... I, I even think they're even running ads against each other now. Aren't the, aren't the major competitors saying hey, our coverage is only 1% less than somebody else's and we're cheaper. Yeah. Aren't they even running those ads, yeah. basically verifying what Patriot Mobile is saying? So pretty much everybody, I mean, there's certain parts, there's certain areas of the country, you know, I have no idea why, um, you know, someplace you go, there, there may be certain pockets, one network's towers are more prevalent than others, but nationwide, pretty much, they're all within a few percentage points of each other. So Patriot Mobile, the difference is when, when you pay them, they use that to support causes uh, that you believe in, unlike with the major cell phone companies that are all progressives do. Okay, so 1-800-PATRIOT, visit them online, patriotmobile.com slash blaze. And if you use blaze there, you'll get free activation on up to two lines, okay? All right, let's get to um, the continuation as we study my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, uh, endorsed by people you like more than me, because I probably couldn't convince you to buy the book if it was just based on my work. So I need more popular people than me, like Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, Dan Bongino, Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro. Don't take my word for it. Take theirs. Okay, you've bought a lot more of their books than mine, so buy one of mine as well. Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies, Conservatives Believe. To our own demise, if you've read the book and you've had a chance to leave us a five-star review at Amazon, thank you. If you haven't done that yet, please consider doing so. This week, the lie we're going to be talking about this hour, gentlemen. Let me say this. When I, when I talked about last week's lie with Trump, that he corrupted our movement, and that's a total lie. He's neither the solution nor the problem. He is a symptom. Regardless, whether you love him or hate him, that he's a symptom nonetheless, okay? That there were systemic problems here long before he arrived, and they will reemerge when he's gone. Um, and I went out of my way to not make the book about Trump because I think we have long-term questions we have to answer as a movement that will still remain after he's gone. And I wanted to minimize his role in a larger conversation. This next chapter is the opposite, okay? This next chapter, I think we need to discuss more often and have a much more in-depth conversation about it because this next chapter is essentially the history of the conservative movement. And there would, without, without Roe versus Wade, there would have never been a Ronald Reagan presidency in this chapter. And if you guys choose to do that, we can get into some of that data. This chapter has incontrovertible data that that is true. That really the difference between Ronald Reagan and Barry Goldwater, Barry Goldwater got annihilated by LBJ in 64, one of the worst election losses of all time. Really, there's two reasons why that happened. One, Reagan had more political talent for the television era than Barry Goldwater did. He was a little bit more rougher around the edges. But the, the other reason is that, that there was a third leg to Reagan's stool that Barry Goldwater didn't have access to. And mo most of America's churches, we just talked to our friend Bob Vanderplatz about trying to find new ways to mobilize the church to, to be culturally engaged, but not necessarily as partisan shills. Prior to Roe versus Wade, Catholics never voted Democrat, or I'm sorry, never voted Republican, always voted Democrat. Going back to 
um, who's the former mayor of New York or governor of New York, Al, Al Smith. Al Smith, thank you. Uh, because Catholics were largely made up, were made up a large segment of those who immigrated to this country in the Ellis Island era, and um, the Democrats were considered the pro-labor, pro-immigrant party. And many Catholics in America during this time were immigrants or first-generation Americans. Didn't feel at home in the WASPy party, White Anglo-Saxon Protestant party. So prior to Roe v. Wade, Catholics always voted Democrat. Evangelicals were not a major voting block, actually. In fact. From the Scopes Monkey Trial in the 30s until Jimmy Carter, who ran as a Southern Baptist as you know in, in the 70s, he was really the first modern American presidential candidate to specifically target uh, white evangelicals as a voting block. And then Roe versus Wade brought, you know, evangelicals were buying Hal Lindsey books, man, waiting for Jesus to return in 1988. I'm not making this up. The two, I'd like the two best-selling books of the 70s, nonfiction books of the 70s, were Eric Von Donegan's Chariots of the Gods about crop circles and, uh, you know, essentially what the History Channel is now, Ancient Aliens, is, is what Eric Von Donegan was writing about back then, and Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth. And it spawned Thief in the Night as a, as a movie chain franchise. Some of those movies were even filmed in Des Moines. These were, this was, you know, this was the, this was before Left Behind. This was the first Left Behind rapture craze in the Protestant church was going on here at this era. So Catholics never voted Republican. Evangelicals a lot of times didn't even vote. They weren't even a mobilized group. And Roe versus Wade changed all of that. So if you want to understand the history of modern American politics, the conservative movement, the Republican Party, this chapter, if the previous chapter was an attempt to minimize someone's role in the larger grand scheme of things, because there's bigger issues at play than just his personality, this chapter does the opposite. It, th now we're getting to the stuff that needs to be discussed far more often. And, and we need conservative media to be discussing these themes you, if, if you want to know why you haven't ended abortion yet, aside from the spiritual reasons, I'm talking just purely politically, this chapter is going to explain it to you. And one of the major reasons why infanticide is out of the news right now is because most of conservative media wants to respond to Rick Wilson, Tom Nichols, and Bill Kristol and their thoughts on CPAC. And when the, when the, and finally, and when the playground argument for the 94th time these people are irrelevant. They've gone bankrupt. How many more times do you have to keep stepping on someone's neck? He's dead, Jim. They're dead. Can we get to the stuff we actually allegedly got into this for? You won the playground argument. You punched a bully in the mouth. He left school. He went to another district. He was so ashamed. We're like kids in the fifth grade dropping heaters, remembering. Remember that fight on the monkey bars we won last year? Burnouts, man. We moved. We won. Can we now get to the stuff that actually we supposedly care more about? You can dunk on Tom Nichols for the 59th time. Now we're getting to the stuff that our movement has neglected for far too long. And it is, starts with lie number three. Republicans are the pro-life party. Truth bomb. A political party that will, even even, that will not even defund its own sworn enemy doesn't deserve to live. 
And for that, I'll now turn it over to you guys. You can take the conversation where you'd like it to go. Uh, first, this may be a chicken or egg or the egg question. Um, was it the pro-life movement that uh, failed first or was it the Republican Party uh, that caused the pro-life movement to stumble? And I guess implicit in that question, has the pro-life movement ever really been a real movement? We have a great march every year. Has it really ever been a movement in, in its history in the last 40 plus years? Well, I, I think just as we've talked in the past about the other side of this argument, that we got to draw a distinction between pro-aborts and pro-choicers. Sure, okay? sure. I think we need to draw a distinction here between the pro-life movement and pro-life activism. I think the pro-life movement has been a tremendous success. Pro-life activism has been an utter failure and, one, and, and arguably the worst waste of money in the history of American politics. Think of all the money you've given to National Right to Life and to shill for Team GOP. If you had given that, think of groups like Save the Storks, who go buy really nice buses. They raise money to go buy really nice buses that have x-ray machines and sonograms in them. And they literally go out there on the street finding young women like my mom might have been, you know, 45 years ago, pregnant at 14, and show them their baby. And let them know, hey, there's a heartbeat there. Here's where your baby's stage of development is. Are you really, are you sure that you want to end this? Are you, have you really come face to face with the full ramifications of this decision? And the amount of women that they have stopped them from killing their child. You know, we have, we have a, um, uh, it's called Ruth Harbor, I think is what it's called here in Des Moines. There's one of these in every major city. Uh, where they take young women who are essentially shunned because they're pregnant, again, like my mom would have been back in the day, and give them a room and a board and a place to have their, and help them get started in life and decide if they want to keep the child, and if so, find a job or uh, give the child up to an, a reputable adoption agency. If you would have given your money to all of those kinds of causes instead of virtually any pro-life political activism in the last 45 years, wherever, wherever you think we are, on the road to ending the killing, we're ten thousand percent ahead. It's, it's like not even close. Betting on the Patriots, yeah. uh, for the last ten years, yeah, yeah. Pro-life political activism is an is an abject failure on every level. Uh, on the policy level, it is it is largely advocated for bills. There's you know why Kermit Gosnell's in prison because he violated Pennsylvania's pro-life laws. One of the reasons why. When it was legal to kill a kid, at what stage of development? As we pointed out before, who always is the accountability mechanism of the stage of development? Who, who does the reporting? The murderers. The murderers yeah. do. The murderers do. Think they might lie? Sure. A lot. If you're a murderer, lying's kind of secondhand, you know? Um, and then everything, every competitive primary that I have covered or been involved in, and ask Daniel Horowitz. Go find him online. Ask him. He'll verify this. Every time, because Daniel's been involved in a heck of a lot more than even I have been. Every time there's been a conservative upstart to an establishment Republican in a primary, every time you've tried to get rid of a GOP hack, do you know who's opposed us in every one of those primaries? And I mean every single one. National Right to Life political activist PAC has. Every time we've got Mitch McConnell, pick a name. Pick a name of a GOP establishment hack we've gone after. And National Right to Life's PAC has supported them over the conservative in the primary every time. 
that I know of. Every single time they've opposed us. Every time. I was involved in a video campaign last year of a pro-life movie producer who, who couldn't get Paul Ryan to bring up national heartbeat legislation because when he was the speaker and his excuse was, if we don't bring up any pro-life legislation that all of the pro-life groups aren't in favor of. And he said National Right to Life's political action committee wasn't in favor of it. Uh, well, the reason National Right to Life's political action committee wasn't in favor of it is because not all the Republicans were in favor of it and the Republicans didn't want to expose how many of their people really aren't pro-life. So, you know, you're into either protecting, you're it, it, the, the pro-life political activism is a protection racket. That's unavoidable. It's like in the New Testament, Paul says, slavery is not, you will be a slave to something. You'll be a, you'll be bond, a bond servant to something, right? Either to Christ or the things of this world, one or the other. Bond, bond servant servitude is inescapable for every human soul. You will be either bonded to your sin or bonded to your savior, one or the other. That's how Paul lays it out in the New Testament. Let me borrow that for pro-life political activism. It is a protection racket. One way or the other. It is either to protect these innocent lives or to protect Republican politicians. One or the other. But it's a protection racket, one way, one in the same. It's just a matter of who are we out here trying to protect? Those babies getting uh, dismembered and murdered or the Republican politicians who cut the checks to Planned Parenthood and don't do a damn thing about it. So I want to, so there's a distinction to draw between when, when a movement that does education, that reaches hearts and minds, we've won all of these arguments. We have reduced the, we have, we have reduced the killing industry. They don't, they don't make any of the old arguments anymore. They're shouting their abortions, all of their contrivances and excuses they've used. <laughs> they don't use any of them An anymore. Excellent observation. They literally just now say, we just want to kill people. Yep. They literally are the Soylent Green movement. We just want to we just want to compost these kids after we execute them and sell off their parts. They don't even try any of the old arguments anymore. The pro-life movement has destroyed all of those old, those arguments and should be applauded for it. But pro-life political activism is anywhere from ineffective to the moronic IQ below 80 or a complete scam. Like the Tea Party turned out, the, P the Tea Party was great for about six months, and then grifters came in and it became scam packs after scam pack after scam pack. And that's essentially what most of pro-life political activism is. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. So to sum up, uh, political uh, pro-life political activism has not adequately capitalized on the great results of the pro-life, nope. broader pro-life. And, and so that begs a question, why? I, I'll answer that one for you too. Because there's a difference between activism, an activist-based model, and an access-based model when you're involved in a political party. An activist-based model will, will take, uh, will, seeks to reshape and reform a party into what it believes its priorities ought to be. An access-based model will seek to reshape and reform the activists into what will grant the leaders or the proxies the most access to the political party. Years ago, I had a very prominent Christian conservative leader, and Amy would know, tell me that the old head of the uh, Southern Baptist political arm, Dr. Richard Land, that he used to, he told us, you know, we used to send Richard Land to Washington, and he would, he'd give Washington the what for on what we Southern Baptists want. And in the years have gone on, what happens is he comes back from Washington with marching orders from the Republicans telling, giving the Southern Baptists what for on what, we're, what we should be willing to put up with. That's, see, that's the difference. Okay? There's a difference between an activist-based model and an access-based model.
An access-based model basically is summed up by the old phrase, seat at the table. There are whole chapters of Proverbs warning, 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 warning God's people about seeking a seat at the table. One of Jesus's most famous acts of his earthly ministry, when he was the most angry, was when he did what? What did he do? What did he do, guys? We know we went to Sunday school. When he was the most angry, what did he do? Turned over the tables. Turned over the tables, yes. Boy, that'll preach. Most Christian political activism is about a seat at the table. And yet when Christ saw they turned something holy into a sacrilegious marketplace, he turned over the tables. Hmm. That's why it's a failure. Because it's about access. It's about protecting Republican politicians. How far can we go with what we say we believe without upsetting the apple cart of Team GOP? So as many babies and as much restrictions on killing as we can do without angering GOP leadership that funds the very baby killers we say we want to put out of business. Dot. Well, as depressing as that is all by itself, I think it should get more depressing to you because when you put in context, you started talking about it, uh, that uh, Ronald Reagan in 1980 would not have been possible with the pro-life movement. I think uh, by you go on, uh, I think the record of Republicans to Democrats since 1980 in terms of victories is four to two in mm-hmm. favor of Republicans. And I think by extension on some level, uh, and I, you've laid out here in the past uh, that uh, all of the um, governor seats uh, in in the last 10 years, um, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the state houses that uh, Republicans have largely taken over have a lot to do with that as well. So in terms of a raw political uh, calculation, maybe, you know, some pro-life people, and they use this as an excuse a lot, you know, this is very complicated. There's a lot of issues out there. It's a balance. The simple truth of the matter that you appear to be making, and I want to be clear that this is the case, is that since 1980, the most important issue to Republican victories near and far across the board, board is life and the fact that uh, uh the right uh the pro-life movement whatever it is has not been able to leverage it's not just it, yes it is one of many issues but it is the 400 pound girl in the room and it yep. has not been leveraged not only has it not been leveraged nearly to the extent that it should have been we are now amidst infanticide and bags full freezer bags full of baby parts and we're sitting here just like i don't know is is this is this one of the most, if not the most, appallingly appalling abuses of a constituency for uh, political gain with no return on the actual issue in all of American political history? Yes. Pound for pound? Yes. If you look at since Roe versus Wade, every 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 candidate that won Catholics and won the middle class vote has won the presidency every single time with one exception, and that was the year George H. George W. Bush won by 537 non-hanging shads in Florida. But he and Al Gore were virtually tied with Catholic voters in that election. Um, and the reason why is because uh, I, I, I'll even grant the point 
that there are, there, it's a little bit like when I say about, you know, my favorite all-time rock song is We Won't Get Fooled Again. I'm not saying it's the greatest song. I'm just saying there's none better. There might be some as good, mm -hmm. okay, but there's none right. better than that song. There might be an issue as big as the life issue, like the okay. economy, jobs. And there definitely is from time to time, but yes. consistently but but there across has been, the board. There, there is none bigger because the coalition that made Reagan's victory possible only became possible because of the alliance forged by Catholics and evangelicals who largely didn't talk to each other for 500 years. Um, that alliance was forged in this country as a response. At Catholic, the Catholic Paul Weyrick, the man who started the Heritage Foundation, D. James Kennedy, Jerry Falwell Sr., James Dobson, three of the biggest names in American evangelicalism in the 20th century, all got together in a room Half the time, D. James Kennedy and, and James Fall, Jerry Falwell Sr. didn't want to talk to each other. One's a staunch Calvinist. The other's the big, one of the biggest names in premillennial dispensational Christianity. What made all these people get together? They looked at Roe versus Wade and say, we are killing babies. This is Molech, guys. We got to do something about this. Because we have seen... The, the worst spanking God has given his people throughout history has been when they have put up with the shedding of innocent blood, which God says right in his word, it's the first thing he hates. That coalition created the conservative grassroots. It created events like CPAC, guys. It was born out of this. Who The famous saying... Uh, bold colors, no pale pastels. One of Reagan's most famous speeches. Where did he give that? One of the very first CPACs is where he gave that speech. As he announced he was going to take on Jerry Ford in a primary. Well, we can't do that. We, we split the party. The Democrats will win. <laughs> the evil empire speech. Where did Reagan call the Soviet Union the evil empire? National Religious Broadcasters, 1981. Or maybe it was 82. Where he gave that speech. There is no Reagan presidency without this. This created the conservative grassroots that we know today. There's no CPAC. Much of what you think conservative conservatism is, or conservative media is, would have never happened without the political coalition that was born in response to the horror of Roe v. Wade. And so this, and, that, and that's the facts. That's the data. That's the numbers. It's not even a debatable point. And you can speak to this anecdotally. You go to St. Augustine's here in town. Correct. How many masses does your does your parish hold on a on a given weekend? Four. Four. Which means this is not a modestly sized church. Correct. No, correct. Correct. The Catholic version of a mega church. No. Like if we sure. took if we took abortion away. How many people in those four masses each Sunday would vote Republican? Give me a percentage. I'm going to put, I'm going to, I'm going to give you over under 30%. It's close because of how crazy this transgenderism is getting. Maybe that's it, the new Roe v. Wade, maybe. Yeah, okay. but your, your, your point stands. Okay. I mean, it's right there. Now let's put Roe v. Wade on the table over under 55%. Probably right around there. Yeah. What did we just find out? Well, we just found out is in a key battleground state of Iowa, one of the largest Catholic churches in our state. 
you can maybe get a slight majority of those voters with the horror of abortion on the table. Take it off the table, and we're debating whether you get a third of those people. Mm -hmm. That is emulated everywhere else you go. See, if a Republican isn't strong in the life issue, he doesn't win the Catholic vote because he doesn't have enough in common with a, a lot of, of, of the current model of Catholic social teaching. Whereas if you went and asked most Catholics, hey, what are your views on subsidiarity as it relates to healthcare policy? What are they probably going to say, Todd? Um, what's that? What's a subsidiarity? Right? It's a little bit like when the Barna survey of evangelicals, and most of them didn't know what the Great Commission was last year. Right? All right. So since most of Catholic tradition, when I, I've said this in the past, and boy, Catholics have gotten really mad at me for saying this, which when I think I'm right, I don't have a problem with. Let me clarify what I mean by that. Traditional Catholic social teaching, natural law from Aquinas, um, Augustinian theory is largely abandoned in a lot of American Catholicism. True. And so because of that, it's been replaced, nature abhors a vacuum. It's been replaced by a quasi form of progressivism with, with names of saints behind it and Bible verses out of context. Largely true. And that's why I say take abortion off the table and most of Catholic social teaching lines up with the Democratic Party. That's the reality. Is the, am I wrong? No. Okay. And this mirrors a lot of what's happened in American evangelicalism as well. I mean, I watch our friend Daniel Horowitz fight with other Jews about whether Israel is a Palestinian occupier. This is not just in a branch of Christianity. This is at, throughout all of Judeo-Christian orthodoxy. This is why I call progressivism the heresy of this age. It is the spirit of the age. It, this leftism is seeking to create rot gut in every vestige of Judeo-Christian orthodoxy all throughout Americana and really all throughout Western civilization. And it's currently succeeding. And if, and if what became known as the religious right were not formed in response to it, there would have never been a Reagan presidency. Would have large, what, what you know of the conservative movement, you ever heard of the Sharon Statement? If you're really hardcore, you did. Most people have never heard of the Sharon Statement. Heard of the Heritage Foundation. They heard of the Right to Life. They've heard of the Right to Life March. They've heard of the things that were done in response to what was going on culturally a full decade after the Sharon Statement. That's what we're talking about here. Here's what we're going to do when we come back, if you guys don't mind. I am going to... I'm going to, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book that fills out these points. If that's the excerpt I'm thinking of, this is what I was, yes. where I was going to go next anyway. Yes. So, yeah. And and I shouldn't do this because, you know, if they ain't go buy the cow, if you give them the milk for free. But in this case, I, I think this point is so important because we want to empower you. You have much more leverage than many of your conservative leaders are letting you in on. Okay. And I'm going to prove this point to you when we come back. Stay tuned. Well, there's an old line from Shakespeare, beware the Ides of March, right? Well, this is normally about the time, if it hasn't happened already, that about 80% of us uh, have failed in our New Year's resolutions. And what's most people's number one New Year's resolution every year? Get healthier, lose weight, right? Hey, I did this. I, I fought the battle of the bulge, man. I totally get it, all right? And, and I still have to fight it 
just to just to just to be pleasantly plump and not morbidly obese like I used to be. All right. So I totally get this. I empathize. If you're struggling with this resolution, you know, it may not even be your fault. As we get older, especially studies will show bodies resist anything um, that uh, because they like to slow the metabolism down. They, they the, you know, we're, we're, we like to get older. Um, that's why you want to check out a new product called Riduzone. It's been formulated to help you manage weight by by boosting your metabolism, which then may also help you curb your appetite. Now, this is not a stimulant, okay? Uh, it contains OEA, which is a single ingredient formulated to send basically an I'm full, stop eating signal to your brain. Here's how it works. It's a metabolite from olive oil. So it's naturally something that's naturally produced in, but also for the body. That means you produce it, I produce it, even your pets produce it. However, you might have to drink like a half bottle of olive oil to produce the OEA found in a single capsule of Riduzone. Now, Todd, you are, I could do that with olive oil. Uh, you know, my ancestors from that part of the world, I love this stuff. Love olive oil. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, it, I'm like, I'm like elf with, you know, candy cane, candy corns. I, I mean, I could do olive oil almost anything. You're like that with vinegar. You can like both. just drink straight. You can do both. That's how you make salad you're, you're, dressing, you're, man. Yeah, you're a sick man. So Todd literally can mainline vinegar. I love olive oil. Okay. But that's, that's a lot of olive oil, even for me. All right. So uh, that's why I'd recommend Riduzone. Uh, it's it, right now, Riduzone is running 30% off a three month supply. If you use my name as a promo code, Steve. All right. That's Riduzone, R I D U Zone, Riduzone.com, Riduzone.com, boosting your metabolism for a healthier you. Riduzone.com. All right. So, I want to get to a portion of the chapter we're discussing. Let me quickly set the scene. To understand the impact the pro-life movement made on the Republican Party, you have to understand the political environment prior to the emergence of the pro-life movement. Um, and prior to the emergence of the pro-life movement, the Republicans were considered the, the party of racial segregation. Even as recently as 1960, Jackie Robinson, the you know— the, the man who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, one of the most important figures in the history of the civil rights movement. He supported Nixon over John F. Kennedy in the 1960 presidential election, which probably blows somebody like, if you're of Aaron's age, blows your mind to think like that. But yeah, that's true. Okay. In fact, Kennedy gave what, what, what historians call the phone call that changed America when he called Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in trial or he was in jail uh, in Alabama. And that was considered the first formal overture of a, of a Democratic party leader to the black community. Um, I mean, who was, who was it that ordered, um, I think it was, was it in Arkansas uh, with Governor Faubus down there? Wasn't it Eisenhower, the Republican president, who sent the National Guard in to enforce the desegregation Correct. order down there? All right. So the Democrats were the party of segregation. From the Civil War through Reconstruction, Jim Crow, the KKK, etc. All right, but after 1960, blacks tended to vote more and more often Republican. Okay, but by so we're gonna that's where the book's gonna pick up. Or I'm sorry, you mean Democrat? Democrat yes, yeah. that's where the book's gonna pick up here. But by 1974, the first post Roe v. Wade election. The migration of black voters from the Republican to the Democratic Party was complete. It began with Harry Truman's reelection in 1948 when he received, which was then a record for a Democrat, 77% of the black vote. You know what would happen if the Democrats only got 77% of the black vote today? Annihilation. I mean, 
they would that would be like a 40 plus state win for a Republican if Democrats only got 77 percent of the black vote. When Harry Truman got into 1948, it was that's how he ended up defeating Thomas Dewey. No one thought that was going to happen. But he largely got it because he was responsible for desegregating the armed forces post-World War II. Um, since 1964, the Republicans have never received more than 15% of the black vote in any election, and often in single digits. So after losing one of its core constituencies in the 60s, Republicans were poised to lose the country in the 70s. Nixon had been, re had been reelected in 1972 by, the large, by one of the largest landslides and popular uh, vote margins in American history against George McGovern. He had signed the Paris Peace Accords, ended the controversial Vietnam War. But, of course, now he's involved in Watergate and a major scandal. Nixon was succeeded by his appointed, not elected vice president, former Congressman Gerald Ford. In an effort to move the country forward, Ford pardoned Nixon of his crimes a month later, had the exact opposite effect, enraging voters all the more. Democrats surged to one of the largest midterm election routes in modern times, including adding almost 50 more seats to the majority they already held in the House of Representatives, several seats in the U.S. Senate. And this was the largest gain in state house races across the country in the history of the modern Democratic Party. It's still a record, the Watergate election of 74. So this is the environment now. Things look bleak for the Republican Party. It was also suffering from a serious identity crisis. Reagan, the former California governor who was once a Democrat, is urging the party to move to the right in response to the Democrats moving to the left. Party elders disagree, prompting Reagan to challenge them in his famous bold colors speech, uh, for the 1976 nomination. We just talked about that. As the 1980 election cycle drew closer, a series of gaffes, the hostage crisis in Iran and an economy mired in a misery index made Carter vulnerable in his reelection. So vulnerable he would be challenged from the left for his party's nomination by Ted Kennedy. Meanwhile, the GOP sensed an opportunity to reassert itself by seizing upon Carter's unpopularity. Among the, the, so this was a star-studded field. We talked about how impressive the resumes were in the field in 2016. This was a similarly star-studded field for the GOP in 1980. And among them was Reagan looking to give it a go after falling just short in 1976. Except this time, Reagan would have a new ally. It was a grassroots army that had never previously existed in the GOP and would go on to become the most feared, dreaded, and pivotal political constituency even to the present day. And it would have never been conceived without Roe v. Wade. I'm referring to social conservatives, otherwise known as the religious right, Christian right, values voters, Christian coalition, or scourge of humanity if you're in the liberal media. The constituency was forged by a previously impossible alliance of conservative Catholics and evangelical Protestants through the work of leaders like Paul Weirich, Jerry Falwell, Sr., D. James Kennedy, James Dobson, and others. And this was done in response, mostly in response, to Roe v. Wade. Now, keep in mind, we were barely a decade removed from evangelicals being unwilling to vote for JFK out of fear that he would follow the Pope instead of the Constitution. Now they were aligning with Catholics to try and save the Constitution. Catholics were just as weary of Protestants. We talked about how they largely belonged to the pro-immigrant, seen as pro-immigrant Democrat Party, going back to 1928 when Al Smith was the party's nominee for president. Prior to Roe v. Wade, it was unthinkable that Catholics would majority vote for the WASP nominee. Nixon so dominated the overall electorate in 1972 that he became the first Republican to ever win Catholics, and he only did it by a couple of points. 
to demonstrate how much of an outlier that was, consider Republicans, even the very popular Dwight Eisenhower, only received, on average, 34% of the Catholic vote. That's why I put the over-under on 30 earlier. Mm -hmm. On average, except for Nixon's watershed blowout, and he only won Catholics by a couple points that year. Prior to Nixon, from Al Smith until 1972, 1928 to 1972. And I got this from a study from Georgetown University, which is what kind of a school? It's a Jesuit. Yeah, it's a Well, I noticed he didn't say Catholic. God bless him. <laughs> Every conservative Catholic in the audience knows what you just did there. I don't know that too many Protestants get what you just did there. Okay, but he refused to identify refused to identify Georgetown as a as a Catholic school. Oh, that was good. That there's a re, every now and then I look over them like, why is he here? And then there's moments <laughs> like that, and I'm like, that's why he's here. That's why he's here right there. That's why that's why we pay him to show up. All right, that was that that's the most brilliant thing any any of the three of us are going to do on this show today is what you just did right there. That was well played. All right. So from, from 1928, Al Smith, to Nixon in 1972, Republicans received an average of 34% of the Catholic vote. That included war hero Dwight Eisenhower twice. That's not a good number. Then we come to 1980. All right, and now we have, um, Ray, see, everybody, everybody remembers Reagan beat Carter. You know what you don't remember? The Republican, the Bill Crystal, Tom Nichols, Rick Wilson types actually ran another candidate. Everybody forgets this. And it wasn't like some nobody like Evan McMullen. They ran a, a U.S. congressman, John Anderson, from a major state, Illinois. He was nationally known figure. Did you know Reagan had to beat a third party candidate in 1980, not just Jimmy Carter? Did you know that, Aaron? Or would you have known it if you not read this book? Let me put it that way. Yes. Yeah. See, this is not a big, people forget this. He didn't just have to beat the Democrat incumbent. And remember what I told you before, incumbent presidents in America win, on average, about 69.5%, it's 70% of the time historically. It's very hard to beat an incumbent president for re-election. They almost always win. Reagan didn't just have to beat an incumbent president. But the, the establishment had their own candidate trying to siphon off Liberal Republican voters, Bull Moose Republicans, Teddy Roosevelt kind of Republicans who thought Reagan and all of his abortion talk, he still is the only president to write a book while in office. What was the name of the book? You guys remember? Abortion and the Conscience of a Nation. So you're saying this is in the DNA of Republicans? Yes. Yeah. He had to beat the Republican Party. He had to beat Bill Kristol of his day and Jimmy Carter. Had to beat them both. And he did. In 1980. How did he do it? Reagan beat Carter by seven points among Catholics in 1980, according to the exit polling. And to prove that wasn't a fluke against an unpopular incumbent straddled with a struggling economy, Reagan would win Catholic voters by nine points over Walter Mondale in 1984. And this began a trend that has carried forth through and including the 2016 election as well. Whoever wins Catholics wins the presidency every single time. Every single time. Because a lot of those middle-class voters that also decide the presidency also are Catholic, by the way. A lot of suburban voters are Catholic. Except for 2000, when George W. Bush in the hanging chad outlier election. And, and, and it was virtually a tie. He lost the Catholics by like two points to Al Gore. So not really a significant number. Since Roe versus Wade, 
no Republican wins the White House without Catholics. So when Mitt Romney in the last week of the 2012 election is so paranoid about the war on women that he's running ads in Virginia, Iowa, and a bunch of battleground states with women coming on saying, Mitt Romney's actually for abortion in these cases. And for and he wants you to have all the birth control you want, no matter how bad it is, even abortifacients. And he lost every one of those states he ran those ads. Every single one of them he lost where he ran those ads. He lost them all. Why? Well, even though there's a you're, you're you're taking one of your major voting blocks, and even if it's only one, two, or three points, you're telling them stay home, don't vote for me. Because if you take if you if you take the life issue off the table, a guy like a Mitt Romney just doesn't have enough in common with most of the people you go to mass with, does he? On, yeah. on, on most of the other issues, how many of the guys, how many folks that you go to mass with have a real strong opinion on the Chevron doctrine? Do you think? Yeah. Do you even know much. what that is? No. Yeah, it would be the same out my 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 end of the suburbs where I go to church. They don't know what that is either. Yeah. And most of the kind of people surrounding, the kind of people like Mitt Romney, would rather that our kind of people didn't exist. Yes. That's, that is the Republican where's Mitt, where, where's Mitt Romney been with these high-valued, high-named Democrats for infanticide? Major governors in states like Virginia, New York. Have, you heard, have, have we heard anything from Mitt Romney let, since he told us what he thought about Donald Trump's private life? Have we heard anything? Let me see what he's been tweeting about recently. So there's much more to this chapter than what I just shared with you, but that's sort of the nuts and bolts. This party wouldn't be here today without you as a pro-lifer. Ronald Reagan would have never been president. You could make the argument that maybe any Republican could have beaten Jimmy Carter that year. I don't agree with it, particularly when you look at Reagan had to beat Jimmy Carter and a liberal Republican. But Reagan doesn't win that nomination without people like you. No way. Do you guys remember what state it was that helped turn Reagan's 1980, struggling 1980 presidential campaign around? Do you guys remember what state it was? No. Now, this isn't in the book. I'm doing this by memory, okay? And my memory is still pretty prodigious. It just ain't quite what it used to be. But if my memory serves, it was North Carolina that turned, that was Reagan's basic line in the sand in, in the 1980 presidential. He had lost Iowa to George H.W. Bush, okay? So... North, I think North, who's in North Carolina? Do you guys know? What do they have a lot of in North Carolina? Evangelicals? Yeah, there's a little thing called the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Now, you've heard me say before, we're all papists. It's just a matter of where our papacy is located. That, particularly in 1980, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is the, Ameri is the papacy for American Protestants. Maybe it's a coincidence that that, that that was essentially the place where Reagan's run to the nomination began to turn. I don't know. Probably not, though. Okay? Are, you, and the, you folks have so much more power and leverage than you've been led to believe, but you've been sold a bill of goods by a bunch of fake Christian leaders, I'll just say it flat out, who would rather have a seat at the table and own the straw poll at CPAC. No one's ever stopped me, ever. No one has ever stopped me anywhere I've gone in America has ever stopped me and said, man, I watched this speech at CPAC, man. Would you think no one's ever, no, that's never happened, but they, but they would rather have access to a certain cable news channel than win. You have been sold a bill of goods. You have so much more power than you have been led to believe. Aren't you pretty much describing the kingship of Hezekiah from beginning to end? It's the party. 
in a way, you know, it said in Hezekiah's reign early on, it says that they, doesn't it say that they had celebrated, this was the holiest celebration of right. the Passover since the, since, since the golden era, right. right? But we get to the end of Hezekiah's time and now he's a braggart. And this group of people come to the palace. I think they were called Babylonians, if my memory serves. And he starts showing them around all of his trophies and stuff that he only has because God performed a miracle to give him his win, right? To preserve his kingdom. And a prophet named Isaiah comes. I'm not sure. I think it's a different Isaiah. I'm not sure. I'll let Bible scholars tell me that. But a prophet named Isaiah comes to him and says, hey, you know, because you were essentially taking credit for God's work, that, you know, you, you brought judgment on the people. And how does Hezekiah respond? Is this going to happen while I'm king? No, not my problem, man. That's kind of, is that kind of yeah. what you're talking about? And that's what's yeah. so hard about this. In one show, we're talking about, listen, the Babylonians are coming over the wall, man. And this dude's here and he's a hot mess. But listen, I'm stuck. And then we do the other show where it, it seems like the best possible thing is to, to wash our hands of all this and take our chances. That's uh, why I mean, we, we are like, living on the razor's yeah, edge, man. That, that's why we like to leave a lot of room for conscience here on the show. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets because you got pets, that means you got stains. Before you make that expensive choice, try Genesis 950, all right? Listen, you got nothing to lose because it's going to cost a heck of a lot more money to replace those carpets, all right? Genesis 950 is an amazing pet stain and odor remover with water. It breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they are gone for good. And it's got an antibacterial component that removes pet stains and odors from carpet and the padding. You can use this on really as a, as a household cleaner as well, uh, including appliances, um, floors, countertops, even the really nice granite ones. Um, even, you know, oil and grease stains in the garage. All right. So before you purchase new carpet and make that massive investment, try Genesis 950. All right. Here's how you can get it. Um, Genesis950.com. That's Genesis950.com. If you use promo code blaze, you'll get a free uh, spray bottle and a discount. For Genesis950.com, go there before you make the big purchase for the new carpet. Just try it. Genesis950.com. Aaron, since you're inheriting this history we've talked about, we got about a minute left. Your thoughts before we close this out. Um, um, internal screaming. Um, uh, <laughs> lots of uh, sackcloth and ashes. Um, I, uh, I'm simultaneously uh, excited and dreading for the f- future. A-, a lot more of the latter, though. But this is, I mean, my, my one question that I would leave everybody with. And again, and I'm glad you just re- reminded us, uh, us of all of this. Why even deal with the Republican Party? What are we getting out of it? And again, lots of room for conscience. I need to be reminded of that a lot when I start criticizing people. I think that's the question that we all need to have. John 317, see you tomorrow. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.